0: You're listening to the Well Church Network. We exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. This is part three of our relationship series, as presented by Alan Tate at the Well Church Florence. Amen. You can be seated. You can open up your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 19. As Peyton just mentioned in his prayer, we have been walking through Series called "It's Complicated," where we've talked about singleness and and the, the the difficulties that we face as as singles in this life, and specifically the purpose of singleness and and what God desires and has designed specifically in our singleness. We've talked about we've talked about the fact that uh, that that dating specifically is God's God's design for us specifically in in leading towards marriage, that dating is for God's glory specifically. And then tonight we're going to talk a little bit about about marriage. And I realize that the majority of you in the room are not married. Some of you in the room desire to be married one day, but, but the principles here, what we're going to talk about tonight, is more than just like, hey, here are the things that you need to do or not do in your future marriage if God wills for you to be married. Even more than that, we're going to take a a more 40,000 foot view of marriage and just say what does God's word say about marriage like why why is marriage important why is it important for us to even understand what God has to say about about marriage see this evening I want us to see that marriage marriage is sacred that we as followers of Jesus we as we as the people of Jesus need to recognize that it's it's an honorable estate. It's instituted by God Himself. This isn't just something that, that that we as humans just decided. You know what? We want we want to be married together. We want this type of relationship in this world. And then that, that even beyond that, we're going to look at Scripture tonight and see that it's even bigger than, than maybe anything that we have seen it up until this point in our lives. That that literally marriage marriage is is, is it signifies to us and shows us and illustrates, illustrates to us this union that exists between Christ and His bride, the church. See, the Bible teaches us from the very beginning that marriage is to be a permanent relationship of, of a man and a woman wholly and totally committed to each other as companions for life. The Bible teaches us that marriage that is born in the flesh is temporary and destined to fail. But marriage that is birthed from God, but marriage that is birthed and born from the Spirit of God, is life-giving. And it carries these incredible, eternal properties of love and joy and faith and hope. But we recognize tonight that if you paid any attention at all to the culture of marriage in our world, if you paid any attention at all to the culture of marriage on our TV, and even, even, even what culture speaks house Culture speaks to marriage in a myriad of other ways and specifically tells us and informs us about marriage, you recognize that none of these things really exist from that worldview. Culture would tell you that, that if you love someone or really like someone or feel like you're really compatible with someone, you should get married. And if that doesn't work out, it's no big deal. That you just get a divorce and you and you start over and find someone else and try that again with someone else. You you don't work through your differences, you don't fight, you don't fight for your marriage, you fight for yourself, and when your needs aren't being met, you move on and find someone else that you think is gonna do it. I would just ask you tonight as we begin, as we get started, as we begin thinking about the the, the true depth of the the theology and the doctrine of marriage. Is that the kind of marriage you really want? Like when you foresee your future marriage, if, if you feel like, man, God's calling me towards marriage in the future, is that what you want? One that you're like, I've always got this out. Even on the even more, would you marry someone who's like, hey, if this doesn't work out, we're good, like, we've got this out. We can, we can go back down to the courthouse and... And file the divorce and we're good. We can go our separate ways in the event that, that it doesn't. Would you marry that person? I hope not. I hope that we long for something more. And tonight I hope that we we dig our foundation of what we believe marriage. Marriage actually is much deeper than that in our heart, because it truly is deeper. It's got to be honored. It's got to be more substantial to that. It, and tonight I'm here to tell you it is more substantial than that. That it's not an afterthought. We're going to look at it in three ways specifically. First, the first thing that we need to understand tonight is that it's not just a decision between two people. It's not just this thing that we just say we're going to do and so we go do it. It's not this thing that we just run off to Vegas and to a little white chapel and just decide that we're going to do this and the Britain Spears-like, we're going to annul it two days later. Like it's none of these things, right? We need to understand first and foremost something really, 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 really important. That marriage is a covenant. Look at this from Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. God's Word says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That word covenant, that, that idea that a marriage is a covenant, that word covenant literally means a coming together. It's a, it gives us this picture of two parties who come together to make a contract or who make an agreement or who, who make promises, who make commitments, who give each other privileges in one another's lives and even more than that, give each other responsibilities in one another's lives. And the Bible describes marriage as a covenant, but even more, it, it describes marriage as a spiritual covenant that's just as binding and just as sacred as the covenant that God made with His people all the way back to Abraham. God made these promises to Abraham and has systematically fulfilled those promises through the the, the life, the the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You and I are beneficiaries of the promises that God made in His covenant to Abraham. And what, what God's Word tells us about marriage is, hey, just as seriously as I took this promise to Abraham, you must take this promise that you're making to one another in this covenant relationship called marriage. It's it's, it's rooted in commitments that literally are are worded to withstand any storm that life brings and life will bring them. See, we've got this picture in our mind that marriage is just going to be this honeymoon phase forever and and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And the married folks in the room can stand up and attest that the honeymoon phase lasts about as long as the honeymoon. And you're probably going to argue on the plane on the way home from your honeymoon and then it's over. Real life is beginning because life is stressful and we are broken people and we are sinful and we're selfish and marriage is the ultimate, it is the ultimate revealer of our selfishness. Not to rain on marriage's parade. Marriage is wonderful. It's an incredible gift from God, but we have to understand it's going to be tough. Life is tough when you're living it alongside another in this close relationship in that covenant that you have made. Ultimately, you're saying things in those covenant promises that are going to help you withstand the difficulties that life will absolutely bring. Jesus mentions that in this marriage covenant, He says that, listen, two people are going to come together and become one flesh. And we talked about this a little bit just just last week. That that God does this incredible thing of taking two and making them one. It's miraculous. This covenant relationship is miraculous. In in Ephesians chapter 5, we see that Paul speaks to this. And then even more, he takes it a step further and, and tells us of this profound mystery of marriage. He says in verse 31 and 32, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. He's quoting... Quoting from Genesis chapter 2, he says that they should hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul quotes as Jesus did, Genesis chapter 2, verses 24, this idea that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he gives us some interpretation on that verse on the back side that's really important for us. He gives us a little help. He says, this mystery of the two becoming one flesh is incredibly profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. That should make us perk up tonight. That should make us want to listen tonight. Because what he's telling us is that our view, our theology of how Jesus interacts with his body, the bride, the church, which is you and me, informs how man and wife in covenant marriage interact with one another. How we look at that picture. The same level of love and intimacy and care and forgiveness and mercy and grace that we see in Jesus' response to you and me as His body. He says, listen, the same thing applies over here. This mystery is profound. But it refers to Christ church. Marriage is, is absolutely patterned after Christ's covenant commitment to His church. Christ is spoken of often as the bridegroom that will be coming back for His bride. And that bride is the church. The universal church. We're a little c church congregation amongst the larger congregation of God's people that literally cover the face of the earth that are followers of Jesus. We're a part of this universal church that have confessed Jesus as their Savior and Lord and that is the bride and the bridegroom is going to come back for His bride. And Jesus specifically talks about this, and coming back, and he knew that he knew that in his life he would have to pay the ransom for that bride. He knew that he would have to purchase that bride. That bride would ultimately cost him his life. We see this picture of the bridegroom laying his life down for the sake of the bride. He called this relationship over in Luke chapter twenty-two a new covenant. Listen to this from Luke chapter twenty-two. This is the way Jesus speaks. About this new covenant between the bride and the bridegroom. Between him and his church in verse 20. He says, this cup that is poured out for you. Is the new covenant in my blood. That's what Paul is speaking of when he says that marriage is a profound mystery. Because it refers to Christ in the church. Because he's trying to help us understand that Christ obtained the church by His blood and formed a new covenant with her. He formed an unbreakable marriage with her. So I want you to start to see that when when we just solely view marriage through the lens that the culture gives us, and it tells us something about Jesus, we're saying something. Not just about marriage, we're saying something about Jesus. God's word says this is the profound mystery that it that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church so when we go yeah if this doesn't work out I'll just find someone else well here's what I want you to I want you to understand the implications of something like that the implications of that means that you have to be willing to say the same thing about Jesus and his relationship with you Hey, if I'm adulterous in my relationship with Jesus and I run off after other idols and do as the psalmist says that I whore after other gods, then it's okay because it's not working out. He can leave me. There's not a person in the room that's ready to stand up and go, Jesus, you can leave me. Right? And the beautiful picture of the gospel is that Jesus says, even though you're doing those things, I have formed with you an unbreakable covenant. And you're not the one holding it together. I'm holding it together with my blood and my redemption and my grace and my mercy. And so I'm welcoming you home. And he gives us a picture of what this covenant truly means in his relationship. And therefore we are called to live this out. Marriage is not just so you can have sex. We're all adults in the room, right? Nobody brought their little brothers or sisters? Did I get a little awkward because I said the S word? Listen, here's, here's the truth. If you want to get married just so you can have sex, then honeymoon's going to hit, and it's like, all right, now what? Like, it's so much deeper than that. Is that one of God's gifts to you as a married person in this covenant relationship? Absolutely but I want you to know it's so much bigger. It's so much more fulfilling. And I want you to know it's so much more intimate than just sex. It's for God's glory. It's why it exists to bring God glory. It's not about being in love. It's not about staying in love. It's not about About this picture of this like lovey-dovey feelings or holding hands. It's not about any of those things. It's about telling the truth with our lives. About telling the truth in our relationship. It's about portraying something true about Jesus and the way that He relates to His people to the world around us. Believing and non-believing world around us. It's about showing in real life the covenant love of Jesus and the covenant promises of Jesus, and the glory of the gospel. And I know many of you in the room are looking forward to this day, and you should be, because it's a wonderful day. It is a wonderful thing. You're, you've got the, the Pinterest boards lined up. You've got the magazine clippings. You've got like all the stuff, like the not.com You've already got the 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 url ready you just need to put the other name in and you're going to go live right if target would let you you would go ahead and scan all your registry things like you are ready for this day you're anticipating it You're, you're you're looking forward to it here's what i want you to recognize though even more than all of those things which are wonderful and good and great things i want you to look forward to this day for another reason I want you to look forward to this day for a bigger reason. I want you to look forward to this day as the day in which your covenant is formed. This incredible covenant. This one-time covenant that you get to have with another person that paints a picture of your eternal God and His incredible love for you not just between you two, it's between you two and God, because what God has brought together. Let no man separate just as Christ will not separate His covenant with us. That is the standard for our marriage. It's a covenant, and we've got to see it itself. Second, this, this evening, I would encourage us to see that it is an incredible gift from God. Matthew 19.6, what God has brought together. Jesus Himself makes the point clear here that no one else can bring two people together in the way in which marriage specifically is proclaimed here in Scripture. Now now hear me, that's not to say you can't marry someone that, that God doesn't want you to marry, but I want you to hear that in doing so, you've got to run through a lot of red lights. And you've got to run... Hard in rebellion against Him and ignore many, many, many warning signs along the way. So I want you to recognize what Jesus is telling us here is that marriage, marriage specifically, is a gift from God. It's not just some random occurrence that God is bringing two people together for His glory and their good. Not fate, not coincidence, not happenstance, not OK Cupid, not not Christian mingle. Like it's it's none of these things though these may be the means by which God brings people together, farmers only, like I don't know what it is for you, like I, the, the song is in my head now, and now the song is in your head, you're welcome. Like I don't know what it is for you, but God may use those things to bring it, but, but listen, it's God God doing the work. That's what Jesus tells us. God clarifies when when two are right for one another. Like he's going to make that abundantly clear to both of you, and because God brings two people together as a gift from Him, there's something really important that we need to recognize. That because because this this marriage marriage in and of itself is God's design, and because God's the one is bringing two people together, and God's the one doing the work of of making two one, God gets to determine the rules and how we specifically. How we specifically interact in, in this marriage relationship. That it's God who determines our roles. And this is where things get like a little, a little sticky for all of us because we're like, man, this just this seems a little outdated. But I want you to see, I want you to see that Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, 22 to 25, where we speak about wives and husbands, it matters. It matters that we in the church see this and believe this and understand this. And walk graciously through this. And what that means for us guys is we don't look at women and go, hi, this is what you've got to do. And it also means that, that we, as, we as women don't look at uh, the guys and go, hi, this is what you've got to do. That's not the point. God says, look, I've not only told you that this is mine. I've not only brought the two of you together. I've not only made the two of you one. But even more than that, I'm going to show you How it is, as wives, you are to love your husbands well. And husbands, how you are to love your wives well. To where this works. And then it points to something even greater. He tells us this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Wives, submit an honoring and allowing your husband to lead in this covenant relationship with one another. Husbands, lead in putting your wife's needs and care about uh, above everything else in the world. To the extent that the means by which you care for her uh, shows in the way in which you care and even the physical acts that you do that you would be willing to lay your life down for her in the, in the exact moment that it is asked Now ladies there are some things that we need to talk about here. Because we don't like the idea of submitting and men on the on the flip side of that we're like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute my life is called for and, and ladies on one side we get defensive we're like no no, no my life is called for like we're, we we want to fight about this but here's here's the picture. Listen to this. Submitting is not slavery. That's not what we're talking about here. Submitting is not servanthood. Submitting doesn't mean you're His housekeeper. Submitting doesn't mean that you're lesser. Right? That's not the picture. It's not at all what what God's Word is calling you to. And every time we talk about this, whether it's individually or or whether it's in this context, I come back to this, this idea. Some of you have heard this before. That if I could tell you tonight That you can marry a man who loves you without condition. Like literally no condition. Unconditional love. Even when you're unlovable. Even when you don't deserve unconditional love, He's giving unconditional love. That He's concerned about your well-being in all situations and circumstances and ensuring that all your needs are met and that you're loved and cared for at all times, even to the extent... That he would die for you. If I told you that man existed and he loved you and wants to be in a relationship with you, would you be willing to submit to that man and his leadership? Of course. Odds are the answer to that is yes because you know that in submitting to his leadership what you're actually submitting to is your own good. Because he's going to ensure that all that you need taken care of that is not to say that you can't take care of yourself it's not to say that you are lesser it is to say that this is this is your role in submitting to leadership because something with two heads is a monster We, we we submit to leadership and on the flip side of that guys don't be a dingus This is why, ladies, you need to recognize that your, your choice in dating relationships, if dating relationships are leading towards marriage, actually matter. Because if you start dating a guy that does not care about the Lord, or does not care about what the Lord says, or does not even remotely care about what the Lord calls him to in this life, much less marriage, it's going to be really hard for you to obey the Lord in your marriage when it comes to this piece. going to be hard to submit to that man's leadership because you can't count on him doing what what the Lord calls him to do. Guys, don't be imbeciles. Focus on what matters. Fellas, focus on what matters. Love the Lord. Submit to the Lord. Let the Lord lead your life so that when, when God brings, if God desi- desires for you to be with someone for the rest of your life, when God brings them in, you can say, listen, I've laid down my pride and I've prepared to serve her with my life. Even to the extent that I will lay my life down for her because that's the picture of what Jesus did for me and it's what I do for her. Guys, realize tonight what I'm saying. I'm saying to the ladies in the room that if you're not serious with the Lord, they don't need anything to do with you when it comes to dating. I want them to friend zone you so hard that you go, why won't any girls at the well talk to me? It's because you don't care about what the Lord says in your life. And ladies, the same matters for you and your pursuit of the Lord matters, but I want, I want that to be the desire of your life above all else. We know it is. We know that's the call. But I also want you to be able to actually fulfill what the Lord is calling you to in marriage. And the same with you fellas. And none of that happens when we're not concerned with what the Lord desires in our own life. Personally, much less when we get in a marriage relationship. In Genesis, we get this beautiful picture of God's design in marriage where we got God has created Adam and He's saying, listen, everything is so good except for the fact that Adam does not have someone to be with in this life. He says it's not good. So He creates one of the central designs of all creation, man and woman in marriage. And He says, listen, I'm going to create for Him a helper. So God made that one which was perfectly suited for Him in the garden a wife. And it was very good. And then he says in 24 and 25 of Genesis chapter 2 that the two shall become one flesh. Once again, we come back there. Understand tonight that, that in order to be one flesh, to live as one flesh, we have to recognize our roles in this one flesh union. Understand tonight that it is not a man and a woman who's able to make themselves one flesh. It's not a man or a woman who's able to fulfill these roles on their own in this one flesh union. Only God can do these things. And what I want you to recognize that if man is not able to create this union, then it's not, a, not in man or woman's power to separate this union. A couple speaks their vows. They're simply consenting to the work of God in their hearts and in their lives. They're saying, "Yes, Lord, what you have brought together, you, you complete here in this ceremony." And God joins in those moments, husband and wife in a one flesh union. And the minister is not the one at work there. The state is not the one at work there. God is the one at work there. It's so much deeper and so much more beautiful than the world's view and the culture's view of what marriage is. We're not just talking about a ceremony. The world would have you believe that this union is built on your ability to uphold the vows that you give to your spouse. Your ability to love your spouse well. And as we talked about earlier, that there's always an out in the event that it doesn't work out. But the problem with that mindset is, once again, it's an extremely low view of what God says marriage actually is. By the power of God, two have now become one. And only death can change that. Marriage is a gift from God because it's God's design. But even more than this, it's a gift from God because it's God's doing. One of my favorite quotes on marriages from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said it like this, he says, love comes from you, but marriage from above. From God. As high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the rights, and the promises of love. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage covenant that sustains your love. Marriage is a gift from God to us. We should see it as such. It's a covenant, it's a gift from God. Most importantly tonight, what we need to recognize and the one one thing I want us to see that has the most implications to the outside unbelieving world is that marriage is a beautiful living picture of the gospel. Because the book of Revelation tells us of a wedding that's on the horizon. And I can promise you it's going to be far more glorious than any of your weddings. It's going to be incredible. For those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, you're going to be there. Because the groom is coming back for his bride. Because of that, a wedding ceremony, this ceremony that we have in this life, this tangible thing, this picture that we plan and plan and plan and then see it come to fruition, this, this thing that many of us have been to that we dream about is about more than just what's happening in that day. It's standing as a proclamation of the good work that God accomplished for us on the cross. You know the story. The gap between God and man was insurmountable. It was magnificently big. It was astronomical. We could not cross it on our own. We were hopeless in our sin without a perfect sinless sacrifice. We needed help. And we are told in Scripture that God in His love made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, He was sinless, To take on our sin. To be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Selflessness by the sinless Savior shown for us in His sacrifice on our behalf. This very love that God showed us by sending His Son to die for us on our behalf is the same exact love that we share with one another, but even more so, the same exact love that we share with this person that God is bringing us together with. We know that from 1 John 4, verse 19, that we love because He first loved us. That our love... That, that, that love is not shown to us because we love Him or, or because we love one another. No, we, we know what love is because he, he loved us first. See, love jumps all. Barry's my second favorite quote in, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer about marriage talks about this specifically. He says, In a word, live together in the forgiveness of your sins, for without it, no human fellowship, least of all in marriage, can survive. What he's saying in that quote is if you're not living out the gospel in your marriage, your marriage is going to crumble because it's a picture of the gospel. It doesn't allow for selfishness. We talked about this a couple of weeks back. The vow that you take in marriage, have you ever really read them? Have you ever really thought about the vow that you're taking? It's not just empty promises. You mean that. It's not just something that you awkwardly cry in front of all your friends and family while you're saying it to someone. You have to mean this. It's got to mean more than that. It's, it's so much deeper than that. And, and what you're saying in that vow is the public declaration that you're killing your selfishness for the betterment of this other person. Before your family and friends, you're saying that you're no longer going to look out for self first, but instead you've chosen to put your spouse's needs above your own for the rest of your life. Till death do us part. There's literally no more beautiful picture of the Gospel to the outside world than when we as husbands and wives in the covenant relationship of marriage willingly sacrifice ourselves and love love and serve our spouse in these ways specifically. It is the picture of the Gospel to many who don't know the Gospel. So if that day comes for you, if God calls you into a marriage covenant with someone else, a husband, with a wife. Before your family and friends, are you truly willing to say that, look, you're in this till death? Are you really ready to put his needs or her needs above your own regardless of how difficult it may be? Are you ready to humble your pride and your pain to forgive what may seem in the moment absolutely unforgivable? Unforgivable. Is the person that you're standing across from worth your life? Because the vow that you're taking in that moment absolutely requires it. Some things we know about love. Love is not this feel-good idiosyncrasies that we say to one another every once in a while. Love overlooks idiosyncrasies. Love knows no bounds. Love is not based on how we feel. or love's not based on our emotions. Love always gives, and we know from Scripture that love never, ever, 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 ever fails. Marriage is this incredibly beautiful, living picture of the Gospel. Because the only way marriages survive is through the basic tenets of the gospel. Forgiveness, repentance, grace, mercy, kindness, patience, gentleness, and above all else, this agape love. This means when we're seeking someone to pursue the rest of this life with in this covenant, that God calls marriage. That we better be seeking to pursue this with someone who can help us proclaim this truth of the gospel above all else. Tonight, what I want you to see is that this topic is incredibly important, especially at this, in this day and age. When you're in the room, you're like, man, I don't know if I'll ever get married. It's still important because it shapes how we view this thing called marriage, this gift called marriage. I hope that you're walking away with more than just a little knowledge tonight. I hope that hope that you're walking away realizing that marriage is just a, it's, it's about more than just intense feelings or compatibility or pretty flowers or celebration with friends and family. And certainly it is some of those things, but instead I desire you to see this deep theological truth about what marriage actually is. And let it form your view. Whether you're about to be married or maybe never be married or somewhere in between. Let it just form how you see this. Because it's significant beyond the words that we're even able to express. This is about the gospel. It has implications about the gospel. And one day, if you get the honor of joining your life with another in marriage, I hope and pray that you ensure that in that ceremony, you look that minister in the eye and say, if you don't preach the Gospel, then I'm going to stop you and I'm going to do it. And if I preach your wedding and I don't preach the Gospel, you kick me in the shins. Because that's what it is. That's what it's about. That's what it's for. It's nothing more than just an expensive party outside of the Gospel. And it's a really expensive party. So use it for the Gospel. I want you to see this too tonight, though. I want you to see that that what you do now matters. That your view of this, but your preparation for this day, even today, matters. It may be literally days away, weeks away, months away, years away. Who knows away? It may be that you're called to singleness, but your preparation in regards to the way that you view marriage matters. And you can begin tonight. It's my hope and my prayer that as we talk about marriage, that you would... Begin simply praying for the Lord to start working in your life to the point that you're able to stand before your love one day and share your vows and your promises without doubts. You go, I know what this is and I know what the Lord has done and I stand before you not afraid because I may have some fears about the unknown, but I am without doubt that this is the Lord's doing. Because my friends and my family have spoken into this process. And even more than that, the Lord has prepared us for this moment. Where two are becoming one. I pray with how you treat singleness and even more, make a decision tonight. To honor your future spouse with how you treat singleness and even more with how you treat dating. Let's go one step further. Will you honor your future spouse's rather the future spouses of the people that you date now as well? Because odds are you're not going to be married to that person. Odds are you're going to break up with that person or they're going to break up with you. And odds are that maybe he has someone else in store for both of you. So would you treat them in such a way that they call you later and say, hey, thank you for honoring me? Or even one step further, one of my favorite stories is that our campus pastor, our pastor at the Well Church in Huntsville, Dated a girl in college. They broke up. That girl actually weirdly ended up marrying a church planter. That church planter called him and said, Hey, look, man, thank you for treating my wife well. Thank you for honoring her in the dating relationship because you set our marriage up for success because of the way that you treated her and the things that you, the boundaries that you guys set in your relationship. I pray someone can call you and do the same thing. Odds are they won't, because I think those calls are extremely rare because it was extremely humble for the husband to call the old boyfriend and say that, right? Which is in and of itself its own picture of the Gospel, like this beautiful thing. But would you see marriage with such, with such honor? Would you give it such respect that you treat those that you date in such a way that their future spouse, if it's not you, can call you and do the same. I ask you tonight, what decisions do you need to make that will affect your future marriage positively tonight? Maybe it's getting right with the Lord. Maybe it's, maybe it's actually receiving the Lord through salvation tonight. Maybe it's repenting from some things that are killing you right now that you're running in the other direction. Maybe it's actually laying some things down, surrendering them to the Lord. What decisions do you need to affect that's going to what decisions do you need to make that's going to affect your future marriage positively? What decisions do you need to make against things that are affecting your future life with Christ and specifically your future marriage negatively? Where does that leave you tonight? What does that leave you in regards to God's call in your life? What does it leave you in a, from, from an obedient standpoint tonight? And where, if nothing else, where does it leave you from the standpoint of intentionality tonight? What do you need to do to be intentional to ensure That you are who God wants you to be so that when He brings who He wants you to be with into your life, you're ready for that moment. Now as we close, I just want us to process those things. I want us to rest in the truth of the gospel. heaviness of the truth of marriage to sit on us, but even more than that, I want us just to rest in the truth of the gospel that our God will not leave us nor forsake us even though we often stray. His grace is sufficient even tonight. Thanks for listening to the Well Church Network. Our vision is to see a church planting church in every university city in the southeast. To that end, we are pursuing a God-sized vision of planting 16 churches by 2026. For more information on the Well Church, visit wellchurchnetwork.com.